a code red for humanity, curb emissions and dramatically reduce consumption or face a world that is fundamentally different. When Kermit the Frog sang, it's not easy being green. I want you to know that he was wrong. He was wrong. There is no planet B. There is no planet blah. Blah, 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 blah. It is unequivocal that human activities are responsible for climate change. If unprecedented changes are not made and made soon, there will be irreversible damage to the planet. Zero carbon. East tall. Hello, this is Zero Carbonista, Series 3, The Sky's the Limit. I'm Ian Collins, and welcome to our sometimes controversial journey through the green agenda. If there's a story out there that has got an environmental component to it, you will find it at some point on this podcast. Our man in the climate hot seat, and let's be honest, it's getting hotter each year, is Dale Vince, the environmentalist and entrepreneur. Dale is the owner of Ecotricity, the world's first green energy company, and also the chairman of Forest Green Rovers. Two very, I mean, we don't talk about this often, Dale. Morning, by the way. But, I mean, they're two very distinct hats you wear there, even though there is something in the Venn diagram of what you do in applying one to the other. Yeah, at least two different hats, I guess. But those two are the most distinctly different, probably. But, you know, I've taken all of my environmentalism into football. And so, as you say, in terms of the Venn diagram, I think actually those circles are above each other. I don't think, for me, there's no difference, you know. Football is just another uh, walk of life. It's become an amazing platform and channel to talk about the environment. And, you know, the environment has to take over every aspect of our lives. You know, we have to live sustainably in everything that we do. So for me, there's no actual difference. But one must be a nice relief in some respects, you know, the idea that you can look forward to. I know it's not just working on a Saturday when you run a football club, but there is that Always that part of the week, isn't there? I mean, there's midweek matches, but you take my point. There's that part of the week where you think, well, you know, it's been a tough old week, but at least I've got a good game of football to watch this weekend. Yeah, I mean, the times uh, that are, that are less good are when the uh, the energy company world is a relief. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> then, then, is, I, then I know we're in trouble. Like when you play Swindon or something like that. Uh, for, yeah, that was actually a good game, and um, it's never fun to lose, but it was a good game and that was fine. But you know, football is fun as well as uh, being a great platform and, and that kind of stuff. It's a great diversion. I played football last night. I like that. That's great fun as well. But look, it's you know, it's all part of all part of life to me. Obviously, there's huge drama in the energy world right now, much less so in the football world. Let's go to the first one here. Here's the headline. Government negotiators don't want the environment to get in the way of trade deals. That's a tricky one. Yeah, I mean, like, are we surprised? It's a leak. This is government's advice to its trade negotiators, but we're not surprised, are we? And we actually already heard this in the Australian trade deal. Was it the Paris target of one and a half degrees was left That's out right, of that yeah. at, the, at the request of the Aussies? I mean, you know, I mean, these these guys in power right now, I mean, what do they give a shit about actually? Yeah, there is that. I, I, I'm always, I don't know whether I am in awe of these people sometimes, I, only because I can't imagine being able to turn up on the telly and do the rounds of the media bullshitting my backside off uh, in, uh, and, and with a straight face. And I just think, is that a terrible trait or is that something I should envy in a, a fellow human being that they're able to do this without so much as blinking? 
Yeah, it's a terrible trait if you ask me. I mean, I think the most recent classic for me was when Johnson came out and said fuel shortages and driver shortages and empty supermarket shelves. That was all part of the plan and it's part of the transition, you know, post-Brexit to a high-wage, high-skill economy. Incredible thing to say. Yeah. Here's a question. Uh, we take questions, of course, every week. Thomas on Facebook. Uh, where's your electric hovercraft? Uh, was, it, was it in Stroud last week? I hope to see you riding around the common. <laughs> well, that would be a laugh, wouldn't it? Along, yeah. along with your helicopter, I suppose, that doesn't <laughs> exist. Yeah, well, yeah, that one doesn't exist. And the, the, the hovercraft does exist, of course. The hovercraft nearly does exist. Yeah. So we've, we've got the hull, and uh, we sent the motor uh, to the uh, hovercraft makers a few weeks ago now. And what date is it today? We're about a week away. 15th. Yeah, thank you. We're, we're five days away, in fact, from the, the hull and the motor being sent to the next people that are going to fit everything else, batteries, wiring, harness, that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah. So, you know, with any luck, I would hope we're just two or three weeks away from a working prototype. Fantastic. Um, headline I spotted this week, we actually talked about this on the radio as well, overwhelming backing for strong climate action, according to a major UK survey. This was things like carbon taxing on polluting industries, mm. higher levels for flying, grants for heat pumps and in order to tackle the climate crisis. Um, it's interesting because often we, depending on which newspaper you read, could walk away with the idea that people don't give a hoot, but in mm. fact they do. Yeah, indeed. And it didn't really matter what um, what party people voted for either in that survey, if I recall it right. Yeah. You know, it was pretty even across the board. A very encouraging thing to see. I mean, I hope it makes a difference. At the same time, uh, Renewable UK, which is a trade body for renewable energy, uh, they put out a survey I saw the other day that said the majority of Brits want to see onshore wind come back, about 70%, I think yeah, it was. Not, yeah. And 70% has been the level of support for onshore wind in all the years I've been in the game about 25 it's never really varied yep. and the point they were making was we could double our onshore uh, capacity and you know it would make a, a big step towards our zero carbon goals and you know it makes sense to me because we have the ability to do that it's very cheap and cheerful it's much easier than going offshore mm. you know we should do it and and any government serious about fighting the climate crisis cannot maintain a ban on onshore wind it's interesting that you, you mentioned it goes across parties as well i mean when we do you know, phone-ins on this kind of stuff. I speak particularly younger people who happen to be Tories. There's not even a debate in their mind that this is something that we've got to sort out. Yeah, you know, right. really, there really is not even a discussion in their peer group that this yeah. is an, an issue. And yet, it seems when it gets to the point of government, um, whether it's just the Tory government, whether it would change if it was a, a thing, some things might change. You, know, you wonder whether there's sort of a, an overarching steering group in a seller somewhere that, that makes other decisions i don't know but what i do know is that it does seem to be something that has cross-party support yeah totally uh, i think um you know i was at the tory conference a couple of weeks ago and somebody said to me this is the net zero conference and everywhere you went there was a trade stand from somebody plugging net zero credentials there were lots of talks about net zero and all that kind of stuff so you'd think that um they had caught on in the party of power but you can't see that manifest itself in terms of policy. You know, there is talk that imminently there may be a big uh, subsidy for heat pump users, maybe even £5,000 off the price of a heat pump, which is colossal. But this is the same government that, uh, you know, won't take VAT off of solar panels. I, I just don't understand it. You know, I mean, a heat I mean, pump you can't a make that up, can you? I mean, you really can't make that up. No. You'd assume somebody was lying to you. 
if they told you that news. You would, even if you didn't know, you'd argue against it and go, you must have got that wrong. There can't be VAT on solar panels. Uh, yeah, there is. Yeah, there is. Yeah. And yet there's still no duty on flying. And in that survey, one of the really encouraging things was that majority of people thought we should tax flying. Absolutely. They also thought we should subsidize trains, which we already do, by the way, about two billion pounds a year. Um, but actually, I think we need to build more trains, build more lines. Um, but hey, ho, what can we do? Here's a question from Grace on Twitter. Can we get green code accreditation for our business? Uh, we're going to zero carbon in 2023. Can you explain more, Dale, what she's talking about here? Yeah, so Green Code is um, is an initiative out of Forest Green. It, it's really just to help other people down the road to the same destination as Forest Green, carbon neutral, uh, net zero, uh, you know, call it what you will. And it, it was kind of set up with everybody in mind. So, yeah, it's open to everybody. The EFL have adopted it now for the entire 72 clubs of the league and and are kind of, you know, pushing it to all of those, which is a great thing. I, I think see us take a big step forward in terms of sustainability in football. But, yeah, I mean, the short answer is, yeah, it's, it's open to everybody. Good work. Um, the energy crisis continues. It's not making quite the same headlines, but it's still there. I think there were stories of maybe another couple of energy companies might go by the wayside this week if they haven't already. Yeah, three have, but only two uh, we're allowed to talk about for some reason. Okay. Um, don't know what's going on with the third, but it's it's happened. It just isn't public yet. But there's a there's a bigger behind-the-scenes event. And by the way, this brings us up to a dozen since uh, August yeah. uh, failures, which is incredible. And and it, just to recap, in case anybody missed it, what's happening here is government have imposed a price cap on energy. This was a few years ago, but they're refusing to budge and they're forcing energy companies to pay many times more for gas and electricity than they can sell it for, which is simply forcing out them out of business, as you might expect. Um but behind the scenes, there's something called a gas shipper that's just exiting the market. And in the world of gas, um, people that do this shipping job, they basically bridge between wholesale and retail. So they supply energy companies with gas that they can then supply to their customers. Yep. Uh, they do the kind of back-end industry job of doing that. This company that's exiting does that for 18 small energy companies. And wow. they told them to make their own arrangements as fast as possible, which could be days or weeks. Yeah, yeah. And they're doing it. They're leaving the market, the shipper, because they've had a lot of companies go down on them, owing them money. They're obviously losing money themselves, and they're just calling time. So what could happen now, next, is, is like a domino effect. We could cool. see these 18 companies simply exit the market because of that. Uh, because getting another shipper right now would be really difficult. But yep. even if you can get one, if you've lost any hedging that you've done and you have to buy it in the market, then that's going to kill you. Yeah. So uh, government today, by the way, are due to make an announcement, we're told, by ITV. I'm on standby to respond to that in the afternoon. Uh, some kind of help for the energy sector. And we don't know what it is, but the only thing that makes sense to me or, the, or the, most, the most likely candidate is for the government to take away this crazy thing called mutualization. And this is a scheme that uh, the regulator came up with a few years ago. And, and basically, it's an insurance policy. So all of these uh, reckless small companies have come into the market with the crazy business plan, selling at a loss to grow customer bases. And when they exit, their debts are spread around the players left standing. 
Right. right now, with 12 exits and 2 million customers stranded, we're probably looking at a cost of about a billion pounds to be, spread, to be spread across those left standing. I mean, it's incredibly unethical in the first place. I was about to, to say, how, how does that, uh, yeah. how, how is that all right? It's not. So, I mean, but it's becoming so big that it's likely to clean the market out anyway. And I think the government intervention, it won't be to change the price cap. They're ideologically bound to death to that. I think it will be to say, do you know what, we'll, we'll take care of this mutualization thing. But, um, well, fingers crossed, because that would be a big deal. Uh, this question from Molly, who says, I remember reading something about a water device you were working on. Any updates? What's, I mean, what's are you the Magnus Pike of the modern age, Dale? You've got a hovercraft. You remember Magnus Pike? Hovercraft, diamonds, uh, and, and now water. You're either Magnus Pike or Jesus. Uh, what's happening? <laughs> yeah, hovercrafts can kind of walk on water. Well, right? Indeed, yes. That might yeah. work. That might work. So, yeah, look, there's a, there is a water device, and – it's been in R&D now for us for maybe maybe four years. I'm not really sure. Um, it's an amazing concept. It's like, the, um, it's like the water and sewage equivalent of solar panels or a windmill. You can use both of those to take your house off of the power grid. This device that we're working on will take you off the water and sewage grid. And it's only about one cubic meter in size. It's designed to be uh, buried just below the ground underneath your drain pipes on yep. your house. And basically, it takes any kind of water, drain water, rain water, gray water, which is dishwashers and washing machines, or black water, which is toilets. And it will take all of that and turn it into better than tap quality drinking water. Seriously? Yeah, absolutely. And put it back into your house. Fantastic. It's a device that we think is going to cost maybe 700 pounds. So it's not like a huge cost yeah, either. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's an amazing little water-making machine. What I haven't come up with yet is a name for it that I really like. I just can't. So, I mean, I'm open to suggestions. Yeah. Well, this, this could be like a Blue Peter competition, you know, when you people used to suggest the name for the pony or the, the, the dog <laughs> or the cat in the studio. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. But also, it's, I mean, it's, it's like a really important frontier in the climate crisis. Water shortages are here now. Yeah. Um, and they're not just for the developing world. They're happening like in California, for example. They have a chronic water shortage. And we throw literally tons of water down the drain every day in the Western world. In the developing world, it's a different problem, but it's a twin problem. How do you deal with uh, sewage and how do you get fresh water? We can actually solve both of those problems Um we can put this tech into containers, for example. We can yeah. containerize it and send it out, and it will you know, work for a village of hundreds of people. Um, and so in a country where you don't have a water and a sewage grid, it could be very much like the renewable energy equivalent where you don't have an electricity grid either, but you can put some solar panels in and have your own. Fantastic. Well, uh, we'll, watch, we'll keep our eye on that and, uh, and watch the progress with interest. Um, here's a rather grim story, though. The worldwide energy crisis has reignited demand for oil, posing a threat to the world climate ambitions and the global economic recovery from COVID-19, according to the International Energy Agency. Is there a, are you spotting this problem yourself, Dale, that there could be a sort of sneaky <laughs> return to areas where we thought we were trying to leave behind? Yeah, I mean, it, yes, I've seen it. And, and you can understand why it's happening, because the demand for gas is causing a bit of a shortage of that. And so, uh, you know, the, the world naturally turns to another form of energy that's just there that you can reach out and grab, and, and that's oil. It's a short-term thing, though, this energy crisis, I hope. 
Uh, certainly the one we're having right now in Britain is, um, but it will come back if we don't deal with it properly, which we haven't done ever, not yet. Uh, and, and the way to do that is to build our own forms of energy here in Britain, make our own green electricity, make our own green gas, be detached from global markets, from supply and demand and crazy price spikes, all that kind of stuff, you know, just be energy independent. That's the proper answer. And at the same time, of course, we, we take a big step in the fight against the climate crisis. And the wind and the sun are available to every country in the world, unlike fossil fuels. Yeah. Uh, and so it's a great democratizer as well. And it's the answer to the world's energy problems. This from Jamie on Twitter. Come on, Ian, you've got World Vegan Month in November, Veganuary in January to go plant-based for the podcast. I was going to ask you this question, actually, Dale. If you were to recommend a meal, that a vegan meal that somebody who doesn't ordinarily eat vegan food would go for, one that was going to blow your socks off, what would it be? You know, for me, just most vegan food is like that. You know, I haven't got any, like, recipes in my head, but... You know, good plant-based food is just fantastic to eat and you feel good afterwards as well. Uh, my, my favorite right now is still the shiitake mushroom burger from the Devil's Kitchen. It's a beauty, isn't it? Yeah. It is. I can, only vouch, available. I can vouch for that. <laughs> yeah, only, only available on Ocado at the moment, but we're working on getting it into other places or, of course, at a Forest Green um, football match. Just a final point before we finish. Uh, the Swindon game, what happened? That, that something interesting happened with your pitch boards there. What, what was going on? Yeah, we did something new there uh, in collaboration with uh, Rob Del Naya, the uh, 3D Massive Attack guy that's our creative director at the club. And uh, the idea we came up with was to use pitch side advertising boards to get across uh, a different kind of sponsorship, if you like. And we, we set out and we described it like this. We said, Forest Green are now sponsored by the facts. And instead of sponsor messaging on the pitch side boards, we put climate messaging. We put nice. up... Yeah. So, for example, at the start of the game, we started a, a clock. Uh, of course, we did because it's the start of a game. But we we accessed live data and we displayed the number of animal deaths in the meat industry since kickoff. Uh, and it's a huge number. I mean, yeah, shocking, sure. shocking number of cows, pigs, chickens, fish is the worst of all. It's just incredible. Yeah. Um, so we did that. We did uh, ice mail. We did investment in uh, fossil fuels, that kind of stuff. So it's like some kind of... Uh, anti-sponsorship, if you like, or yes. alternative yeah. sponsorship. You know, like he said, look, actually, sponsorship normally is about persuading people to buy stuff. Yep. And what we're doing is showing you what happens when you buy stuff, actually. I like it. Is this the future? <laughs> it is for us. Yeah. <laughs> and just a very final question from Chris uh, from EssentialRecycling.co.uk. Uh, big fan of yours, but you haven't answered the question of land usage in your big gas plan. Doesn't it involve turning rich areas of land into a monoculture? How are you squaring this with the need to give land back to nature? It's a fair question. Oh, yeah, except I thought I had answered it um, because the land that we say that we need is grassland now. Yeah. Now, you could call that a monoculture, and to a degree it is. The grass uh, land that we're going to uh, create on the same land will be a much more biodiverse uh, culture, uh, a great habitat for wildlife. We put a lot of work into the kinds of species of grass and herbal lays that will grow there, so it will be far superior to animal grazing land. But it is, other than that, 
a like-for-like swap. So we're not going to create new areas of monoculture, absolutely. And we need about two-thirds of all the land in Britain right now that's being grazed for animals. And that requires uh, about a 10% reduction in red meat consumption. Supported Um, by the public, by the way, in that last survey we talked about. (laughs) Absolutely. And of course, you get people like the Climate Change Committee saying we need at least 30% reduction in meat consumption anyway to meet our climate goals. Um, So to make enough gas to power all of Britain's homes, we need a 10% meat reduction, which is uh, easily under the minimum threshold we have to achieve. It it needs to take place over 10 years, so it's 1% a year. In the last 10 years, we've had a 30% reduction in any way, so it's below the background level. And we take two-thirds of grazing land and we give it over to something else, a different kind of grass with a better habitat in fact, but we solve a really big problem. How do we heat our homes without fossil fuel gas? Um, And of course, without heat pumps, which is going to cost 10 times as much. Of course. Great answer. And we will, of course, come back to that uh, on on future episodes as well, because I think there's a lot of interest in that area too. Um, Dale, have a cracking week. We'll speak next Friday. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks, Ian. See you later. And that's it for this episode. Don't forget, of course, to follow this podcast from your podcast provider so that you get each new episode automatically. And do follow Dale on social media, twitter.com slash dalevince, facebook.com slash dalevince. Zero carbon. East off.